Hello there, you're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We're also going to be doing an update on our 2021 box office draft and that we're more than halfway through our respective rosters. And we are also going to be doing a brief grab bag for some of the films we've been watching in October and the fall season in general. There's a lot of mini bits of news that are out there. The first one is Bill Murray is going to be an Ant-Man in the Wasp Quantumania. He let that slip in a recent interview. Yay or nay, Dylan? Yay. I love Bill Murray and everything. I think it'll be fun. Anything anything to make that movie more fun. Succession Season 4 has been announced. Season 3 is currently coming out on HBO each week. And Season 4 has been announced. Yay or nay? That's a yay for me, too. We'll talk about it later because I've been rewatching Succession, but I have not started season three, and I'm excited to. Gotcha. Jeff Nichols is no longer going to be directing that A Quiet Place spinoff that we reported on way earlier this year. He is still going to be doing his own movie, some sci-fi project with Paramount, but he is no longer on that A Quiet Place project. I don't think... I don't know if I think A Quiet Place needs a spinoff at all, so I'm leaning towards a yay just because... The director falling out seems like it's inching ever closer to cancellation. I have no idea who Jeff Nichols is, but... He did Mud. Did you ever watch Mud? Oh, you're, no, I didn't watch Mud. We nah. talked about that. You love nah, Mud. Put it I on guess, your list. I guess it's a nay for me then, just because I wanted to see what he would do with The Quiet Place. Mud. Uh, Ana de Armas is in talks for a John Wick spinoff ballerina i have not seen the john wick stuff i don't know what ballerina refers to uh but you have seen john wick is this a yay or nay for you i've seen all of john wick and that's a big yay for me i love john wick i think john wick is one of the best modern day action franchises that we have right now i think it's awesome i think keanu reeves is awesome i think anadair moss is awesome that's a big yay for me awesome chris pratt is going to be (laughs) voicing garfield in a new project recently we talked about him getting cast as Mario in the new Super Mario movie that they're going to be doing later this year. Garfield is now the next animated thing that's getting rebooted, and Chris Pratt will be lending his voice to the fat cat himself. Yay or nay? Garfield's normal now. (laughs) It's a big fat nay for me. Oh, it's so bad. It's even worse than Bill Murray being Garfield. I mean, it's just so (laughs) stupid. It's just so stupid. So beyond stupid, I, 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 the only non-comic strip Garfield that I've enjoyed was the the animated cartoon from, I think, the 80s or early 90s or something that I used to watch as a kid that we used to rent from Blockbuster. That <laughs> shit was fire. That was a great-ass show. They did, it had to be the 90s because they did, um, what was Marky Mark's big song? Good Vibrations? Yeah. They did a, a, a different version of Good Vibrations, and I remember that vividly. That's the only thing I remember from the show, is them making fun of good vibrations. That's fine. So yeah, Chris Pratt, you can look forward to him 
once again, being a voice actor for some property, it's just very weird. Why don't they get an actual voice actor or just pick anybody else that's not Chris Pratt? I just I would rather have Bill Murray do it again. Yes, that would be hilarious. He comes back after all this time. A tale of two kitties. What a bad movie. Um, All right, moving on to trailer talk which we will also do as a sort of yay or nay, because I wasn't able to catch any of these trailers. I saw bits and pieces of the Boba Fett one, but I wasn't really, mm-hmm. uh, like I didn't even have the sound on. I was just looking at some of the visuals. Yeah. But for you, you were able to see it, yay or nay, on the Boba Fett trailer. I guess it's a yay. It's a very tepid yay, because, I don't know, I'm still skeptical at what they could do with Boba Fett, but it seems like it looks cool. I'm hoping they do stuff that's, different than what they're doing for the mandalorian yeah that's, kinda, that was kinda, my concern is it like kind of just looks like kind of just looks like the mandalorian season three which it isn't so i'm hoping they do new things i do love learning more about boba fett and parts of it looks cool but it just kind of seems kind of basic a little bit but we i mean that's just a trailer so i can't it's a very tepid yay just because i love boba fett and so we'll see gotcha the light year trailer also came out Chris Evans is providing the voice this time for the titular character. Um, what do you think about this Chris and this animated movie coming out from Pixar? Uh, it's kind of a big nay for me. Uh, I just, I don't really like the idea of the movie because the idea of the movie is that this is the real person that the toy is based on, correct? That's yes. the idea. Mm-hmm. It would be cool if he was just a normal spaceman. But he's actually just a space ranger, which implies that in the universe where the Toy Story people live in, which is just a normal universe where toys live, there is also intergalactic space rangers that never gets touched upon. In toy- like in, in the original Toy Story, the idea was that it was based on a TV show. Yes. Like Woody was. But yeah. now they're rewriting that and saying that Buzz Lightyear was a real person who did real things. Is that OK? Well, I haven't seen it. Which is seems that odd. true that they're saying it was now based on a real person? I thought they were just going for the route of like oh here's what that tv show property was like this is that story i was always pitched to pitch the idea of this is based on a real person because they animate him and everyone else around him as real people like they're just real people like like the toy story people are real people they're animated like real people and it's it's like hyper realistic it's like pixar try it's like wally level realistic realism i see which is is kind of odd. So it's a it's a very kind of big nay for me. I don't think I'm gonna like it, but we'll see. It's uh, worth yeah, a shot. I'll, I'll have to go ahead and check that out. Um, that actual trailer, but I mean, I the saw animation the for it, and I saw his face, and I was like, why are they why are they doing this? It, it looks so weird. I protested it by not watching but the trailer. The animation does look good. It's like top tier CGI animation. So props to them. But yeah, CGI is always getting better every day. Yes, and Pixar, I mean, of course. Yeah. They're the pioneers for that stuff. Uh, Morbius, yay or nay? I'm going to say nay, just because I'm just so confused at this point. Because they've got... Correct. They've got, they've got Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man in the background with uh, references to the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man because it's, they have a shot of the Oscorp building from Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. And they have Michael Keaton in there from Tom Holland's Spider-Man. And then Morbius. And they make several references to Venom in the trailer from Venom's universe. So I don't know what they're... Maybe there's going to be a way to combine all four of them into one in uh, the the 
Spider-Man No Way Home movie, but it just seems confusing at the moment. And also, I just don't think it looks good, just in general. Mm-hmm. Apart from the confusion, I don't think it looks very good. Yeah, definitely has that B-movie look to it. Okay, some other major trailers, including the new House of Gucci trailer, The Witcher 2 trailer, Wheel of Time trailer, all came out. But you really wanted to discuss the Tiger King trailer. So real quickly, talk about why this is the best trailer you've ever seen. It is one of the best trailers I've ever seen, period, bro. Wow. I mean, it just, I thought the story was done, right? Mm-hmm. You and I both thought the story was done. Correct. With one season of storytelling. And they're pushing for more. Like, they have found more stuff. They have found more crazy things. It's like, from what the trailer is pitching to me, I won't. I mean, it's a trailer, so I'm not going to spoil a trailer, but I, I'll, I'll try not to spoil the trailer for the sake of you need, still need to see it. But what they're doing is it's simultaneously finding more stuff about their past and like like uh, hyping us up for what they're going to find, while also hinting that part of the documentary is going to be about how their lives changed after the first season came out, because these people went even crazier when they became famous. I like, imagine so. It yeah. just looks insanely bizarre because it just doesn't even feel like a documentary anymore it can't i just can't even believe this is real life like it's just the level of insanity that i'm watching is purely just off the charts and it just looked awesome like the way they edited it the way they set it up the way they presented all the different storylines they're gonna follow i'm just so excited now i was not excited at all when they announced it but now i'm super excited like i'm gonna when it's starting to come out, I'm going to rewatch the whole first season in anticipation for it. And then I'm going to binge watch the entire second season because I'm so excited from this trailer alone. Wow. I'm going to watch it again after we finish recording this. Are we going to, I don't want to, are we going to have to do a Tiger King episode? We might <laughs> have to. One and two. It depends. If season two ends up being bad, we won't. But okay. if season two is, is as amazing as it they're building it up to be, then yeah, I think we should do a it Tiger King episode. such a phenomenon the first time, and I can't imagine that they'll be able to recapture that. But it sounds like, from what you're saying, they're on track to do so. It's what that trailer crazy. Shows. So, interesting. I'll have to check that out. All right, moving on to our box office breakdown for the week. The final week in October, Halloween weekend. Um, Doom. Retained its number one spot, but it had a bit of a hefty drop, 62% drop down to 15 million. But it is past the 300 million mark worldwide. So that is good Yay. news. And of course, we no longer have to hold our breath. They are getting Dune Part 2. So good for them. All Everything they get now is just racking up more money. After Dune was Halloween Kills, it got a drop, of course, but not as significant a drop as. Most movies do in their third week. It made eight point five million, which is still pretty decent compared to what it made last weekend, which was what fourteen or sixteen in uh, that area, somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. so it, it didn't have too hefty a draw because it is the Halloween weekend. So good for Halloween kills. Need no time to die. Bond is still holding on seven point eight million Bond. in its what fourth weekend. So still holding out. Yep. After that was the new My Hero Academia World's Heroes Mission movie. That is $6.4 million with an average of 4000 per theater. Which is the biggest per theater average this week. Um, so good for them because they only, I don't know, like a thousand-ish theaters or something along those lines. Yeah. Which, again, we saw earlier with the success of Demon Slayer where it also was not like as wide a release as these other studio films. But it still attracted quite a big audience. This film didn't get the 20 mil that Demon Slayer did, but still a respectable showing. So good for them. 
coming in after My Hero Academia is Venom with 5.7 million. And then Antlers, the new horror movie that nobody cares about, made 4.1 million. It's true. And then Last Night in Soho, another horror film that debuted this week, uh, came right around the same amount, 4.1 million. Which is kind of sad. It's his first week. It was supposed to be a big hit. Oh, well. I guess. I think that was one of the movies that was in our potential box office draft picks. I don't think so. You don't think so? Okay. I think it was maybe swirling in the Oscar talk. Oh, it definitely was, yeah. Not in the box office thing. Because this, I mean, it was never going to be a big hit or anything. I was expecting it to make more than this. Like, this is very, very sad. Anyway, after last night, Soho was Ron's Gone Wrong with 3.8 million. The Addams Family 2 with 3.2 million. And then Wes Anderson's 10th film, The French Dispatch, with 2.7 million. That is a 3.5 thousand average per theaters, opening at 788 theaters, which is a significantly larger amount than last week, but it's still doing great for such a small amount of theaters. Indeed. All right, now we are going to talk about the box office draft. For both of our rosters, three films have already come out. We have two left to go, and this upcoming weekend is uh, The Eternals, which is your film, the fourth from your roster. And so in anticipation for that, we wanted to talk about where we're at right now, what what the gross is for the three films that have come out so far. And so just to run through, um, we're going to go and talk about in their release date order for 2021. Talk about the total gross that they've accumulated so far. Again, it is still, for some of these films, uh, they are still open in some markets, so this isn't going to be like their final tally, final tally. But so far, as of the beginning of November, this is where their worldwide totals are at. So Dylan, why don't you kick off with your first film? So the first film that came out was one of my films, it was F9. It has grossed so far $721 million, which is pretty much where it's going to stay at. It's been yeah, so it long, and unless they get some kind of more releases in, in more foreign markets, which I doubt at this point, it's gonna it's pretty much solid there. So $721 yeah. it is the highest we have on our list thus far. It did pretty good for a, a pandemic movie. Like, like, this is like, what, April or May? May. I think it was June. June. Well, yeah. it was June for our market, but it was May for other markets. That's true. Yeah. So, but still, like starting out in May and going through into June, this is still pretty good because we were still had a lot of mixed uh, performances at the time. So, seven hundred twenty-one million is satisfactory to me. For it's very my, respectable. It was my second pick, so this is pretty respectable for a second pick. Yes, and I had underestimated i did not think it was going to be able to crack the 700 mil barrier but it did and had some additional stuff um some bet you feel well like a little extra bitch right now huh well <laughs> you shut your mouth we'll get to that because i am very satisfied with the rest of my takes in their positions right now jungle including cruise. your next one yes jungle cruise i mean well we had some disappointments <laughs> as our next few uh picks that came out but jungle cruise 
it wasn't a complete total disaster, even though it came out on Disney Plus uh, Premier Access, which definitely undercut its potential earnings. But it was still able to get $213 million worldwide. So again, definitely not what I was hoping for. Definitely not what we imagined when we were initially doing the draft. But it hung in there. It had enough. And funny enough, it is getting a release date in China later in November. So it will climb from $213 million, which is good news for me. I don't know why it took so long for them to release it in China. I would imagine a lot of piracy has gone on, and so people aren't going to go. I don't think it's going to be big of a jump. But it will be at least another $20 million, which, hey, anything counts. Anything counts, I guess. The pick after Jungle Cruise was another one of mine. It was the Suicide Squad, and it has grown so far $167 million worldwide, which is a big disappointment. Because that was my, what number pick was that? That was my, that was my last pick. So that is hopefully going to be the worst performance I see. I'm hoping Ghostbusters Afterlife will do better than that. And I know Eternals will. So having 167.4 be my worst performance isn't the worst thing in the world. But I would have loved to see it do better. Yeah, those were our risky picks, our final picks, Jungle Bears yeah. and Suicide Squad. And unfortunately... They fell below our hopes. Mm-hmm. Very but much so. Your next film, go ahead and talk about this one. It was a surprising this was triumph. My, this is my third pick. It was Shang-Chi. It made $423 million so far. That is phenomenal for me. That is a great third pick choice. And I am very satisfied. <laughs> very? Okay. Very satisfied. Even without performance in China, that's pretty good. That's true. Uh, and it did really well. Two hundred twenty-two million of that was domestic, so Fuck yeah, it was. definitely caught fire here in the states. Um, it left some things to be desired in its international performance. Mm-hmm. Again, it did not get the chance to play in China, um, which Bummer. definitely hurt it. But yeah, four hundred twenty-three million was also higher than I thought it was going to be able to do. I didn't think it'd be able to crack the four hundred million barrier, but it did. So. Good for Shang-Chi and good for you for your third pick. Was Venom my third pick? Venom, I believe it was, yes. Yes, it was your third pick, yeah. So yeah, Venom, my third pick. It is still continuing its uh, box office gross because it still has quite a few markets to open in. And there's also the China question. Currently, it doesn't have a release date, but also the first Venom, which released in the States in early October, didn't come out until November in China. So that's not anything to be worried about yet, but you know, I would like to see a solidified release date in China because that'll only add a bunch of money and it'll be able to push it past Shang-Chi, which in the next few weeks, Venom no doubt will do with the rest of the international markets. Um, but so far, here in June, 95 million right at the 400 mil barrier. It is definitely good news for my third pick. It'll be able to surpass yours which is what I needed it to do. Mm -hmm. And hopefully it'll um, widen that distance if it does get that China release date. Um, So yeah. And then my next pick, which I believe was my second pick. This was your second pick, yes. Mm -hmm. James Bond, No Time to Die. Which so far has grossed $606 which is great news for that. It's doing incredibly well in Europe and especially the UK. It's like, I think, the top five all-time 
right now there. Wow. Like the number one is Skyfall. I think number two is Spectre. Number three is Endgame. And then I don't know the next one is. Um, and yeah, No Time to Die is joining that crowd. So doing well there. Did not do as well as we hoped it would or expected it would in the domestic territories. But still internationally doing great. Still has Australia to open in. Um, it just released in China and they're having a COVID situation over there, like 10% of their theaters just closed this past weekend, which is not great, Ooh. but hopefully they will um, get a handle on that real quickly and they can open back up and people can continue to go to this because it's been well received as a good score and word of mouth is really critical over there. So hopefully it'll replicate what free guy did. Cause it has the same score as free guy um, over in their like review aggregator. Mm. So Hopefully it'll be able to get a hundred million in China. Um, and yeah, I still do believe that it will be able to push past F9 and get close to 750. I don't uh, think it can. Oh, it's definitely it going to pass F9. You don't think it'll pass F9? I don't think it'll pass F9. Oof, my boy. My sweet son. It's just time. been so long. I just don't think it's going to do it. I think yeah. in the foreign markets other than China that it's opening in like Australia, it's going to get pushed out by other big products like Eternals, which is coming out. And well, I just all don't. of Australia's is like pushback. So I don't even know if Eternals is coming out in November in Australia. Well, bummer. But <laughs> I, the only one that's going to make money in is China. And it's just been so long since it's opened. And I'm sure plenty of people have already already know how it is. And so word of mouth is spreading around that it's not the best Daniel Craig Bond film. So I think it'll probably get 60, 70 million in China. But I don't think it's going to make the 110 million dollars it's going to take to surpass f9 no i mean it's not going to get all of that in china i mean again there's still it still has, has at least 20 million to go for the rest of its run in the states probably 30 40 million to go in the rest of the european markets say 20 million from australia and then say 60 million left to go in china that'll push it past i don't think it's going to make it Oh, I think I'm very tepid. I'm sorry. We will we will update you on that. But as it stands right now, let's talk about the cumulative totals. Dylan, with your three films, what is your total? One point three one two billion dollars. Wow, over the billion dollar mark with your three films. Incredible, incredible. Mine is one point two one six billion dollars. Incredible. Yeah, so we both, with our movies, were able to get past a billion dollars. Um, and we're pretty close. Again, with Venom and No Time to Die, if we were doing this at the end of their run, I think my three films here and your three films, I think I would come out on top. We'll have to update you. I don't think so. In our final reflection <laughs> on the definitely. 2021 draft, we will talk about that, whether these select three films from our rosters um, what their totals ended up being in their final runs. Again, I do think mine will come out on top. Um, but as it stands right now, you are in the lead and you have, you're about to widen that lead with the Eternals coming out. So let's predict what the Eternals is going to do this weekend, this opening weekend, and what its full run worldwide will be, both your expectations and your hopes for it. Mm -hmm. So... Eternals right now, it's an interesting case because it is Marvel. And as we've seen, I mean, we had Shang-Chi and Venom. So two major Mar Marvel films, and they did well. Clearly, there was also Black Widow, which was not on either of our rosters, but it also did well. So, I mean, Marvel, 
is the most successful franchise at the moment, yes. ever, forever. That this film, Eternals, is the first so far to have a rotten score on Rotten Tomatoes. It's bizarre. I did not expect this. I'm also, I mean, I was like wondering, oh, is it going to be able to? But then when you hear Chloe Zhao is directing this, like literally off winning the Oscar, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I mean, it's got to be good. Or at and the least trailer the, looked great, too. I know. Initially, the trailers, I was like, this sucks. But then when I was in the Dune watching it, the trailer on the big screen, like the big IMAX screen, I was like, okay, I'm down for this. But people are not liking it the critics at least so far that i've seen 56 percent right now it was switching back and forth from 60 and 59 but now it's finally gone past that so it's gonna end up it's gonna settle as a rotten score yeah so right now venom 2 is at 60 percent. it is more well received than eternals crazy uh, and yeah this is uncharted territory for it almost Marvel. makes me want to see it more really like how how could it be this bad? Like how? I'm so I, curious. I don't know. I, again, I don't think it's. They're not saying it's bad per se, but just they're saying it's boring. a mess and a bit bloated and boring. So, yeah, it, and you also have to wonder if that's the case. Will it be able to please the traditional Marvel fans that come out, and then will it be able to sustain word of mouth to get the rest of the general audience to come to it? Mm-hmm. Which we know definitely benefited Shang Chi. That was definitely a pleaser, which got people to come out. So talking about some of its the factors that are going into it in terms of pre-sales, right now, a couple of days out from its release, it has 13 million in pre-sales, which is 33% higher than what Shang-Chi had at the same point before release. But I also believe Shang-Chi, its pre-sales rose up significantly mm-hmm. as it got closer to the actual release date because the hype was building up. And then also during that weekend, I think a lot of word of mouth as well benefited it. So people just showed up. Mm-hmm. but Eternals at least is not in a terrible position. And just to contextualize the opening weekend range, Shang-Chi had 75 million in its first weekend. Black Widow had 80 million. So what are you anticipating this film to have? In its opening weekend domestically, I'm hoping, I'm hoping we can see it cross the 100 million mark. I'm thinking it can do it. I've heard very good things about the actual post-credit scene which for some people is what they really want to see out of a marvel movie is they want to see how it's setting up the rest of the franchise and we've had some disappointing after credit scenes with black widow and shang chi a little bit and so i feel like people will come out at the very least just for that but overall it's still a marvel movie it is a good time of year for a marvel movie to release it has almost no composition this weekend i'm thinking it may be be able to get close to 100 million i'm hoping it can do it that is my hopeful guess if i had to actually guess yes 85 to 90 but i think i'm I'm hoping that it can cross 100 i see i'm going to say 72 to 80 million i'm thinking it can make it higher than that i don't think it'll be able to hit 90 million we'll see if it's able to hit the 80 million mark i i'm Thinking that because of the tepid response thus far mm-hmm. and the lack of word of mouth in that first weekend, that it'll not do as well. But then also, I mean, most Marvel movies are very front loaded. It's going to be the fans coming out. Yep. So maybe that will propel it to um, the 80 mil. But yeah, I definitely don't think it'll hit 100 million. Don't think it'll hit 90 million. We'll see if it can hit 
uh, if it can surpass Black Widow. I mm. don't think it can. But we will update you next week about that. Yeah, I'm really hoping. Because in order for this pick to work for me, it's got to do better than F9. If it does worse than F9, I can just throw in the towel. Are you saying worldwide? You want this to do worldwide? Than... Ooh, yes. Which is going to be tough. <laughs> that it's is not going happening. To be tough. It's going to be tough, but it we, has to do it. It has to do it in order for, like the only way I can it's win an is unknown, it better. It's an unknown property with yes, but it's a Marvel with big stars attached to it. One and it's had star. a big push. One star. It's got one A list star, stars. and I don't even think she's that big of a star. Um, Richard Madden's a star. People who love Game of Thrones. Angel- Angelina Jolie, Salma Hayek, Gemma Chan. Yeah, the regular movie-going folks don't know who these people are. There's they know sure. Angelina Jolie, and she's not even that much of a draw, as we saw her like film earlier in the year didn't do well at all. So, I mean, yeah, again, it's there are names there and people that are more like us that would be able to recognize, oh, I know them from this and that. that. People um, know I think the Game of Thrones stuff has say? the most appeal. They're not A-listers, though, and they're not that big of a... And they're not established characters as well. If you don't have either of those drawings, the established character is a pullback, yes. So I just don't think it has a lot going for it, as well as the fact that the response has not been too great. We'll see if the fans really embrace it. But you've been on the anti Eternals box office chain the entire time. I I still still believe it can do the best out of all the Marvel movies this year, other than Spider Man. What's your worldwide prediction? I can't give one. I can't give one until I see the first weekend. Once I see the first weekend, I can... Because my expectations are too high right now. I don't want to say a number that's ridiculous. But after (laughs) the first weekend, next week, I will give you a worldwide prediction. But the only way I can win is if it does better than F9, which is going to be hard. I say it doesn't hit 500 mil, and it might not even hit 400 mil. It has to do better than that. It has to do better than that. Well, it does have to for you, but I don't think it will. It has to do better than that. All right, we will see. Anyways, time to do our grab bag reviews for October and I guess September a little bit too since we uh, we didn't do a grab bag review for September. So it's kind of like the fall season. Anyway, the movie that I saw was The French Dispatch. I just saw it today. Uh, I'm a big, long-time Wes Anderson fan. I've seen all of his movies. I... I own all of his movies, I'm pretty sure, except for The French Dispatch. I probably will buy it when it's on DVD. Uh, and I got to say, I liked it. I hey, had a really good awesome. time. I was really satisfied, it. especially since I was so disappointed with Isle of Dogs. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm satisfied with because what I was afraid of is that this was going to be to Grand Budapest as Isle of Dogs was to Fantastic Mr. Fox, just a cheap kind of remake of what he was doing before and just doesn't work as well but it wasn't it was original it was unique and it, it gave me a lot of satisfaction but there are some gripes with it and the main gripe is that the biggest draw for wes anderson is that under all this stylism and under all this like idiosyncratic characters and all that stuff is that there's actual heart to the story there's like a real good heart to all of his greatest stories fantastic mr fox royal tenenbaums rushmore uh grand budapest and there is no heart to this movie. There's just, it's there, but it's just not enough. Mm-hmm. It is just not a lot. And that does become a problem from time to time because it makes me not care about the characters. But at the end of the day, 
this is the most Wes Anderson movie that Wes Anderson has ever Wes Anderson. <laughs> it is it is so intensely his style that it almost doesn't even matter that there is no heart because you were just watching it for the sheer sheer perfect Wes Anderson style that you're seeing here. So if you don't like Wes Anderson style, don't go see don't <laughs> go see this movie because this is just so much of it that is in abundance. It did make me laugh. It, it was highly intellectual. Like it, it's probably his smartest movie just because almost the entire the entire point of it is it's a collection of stories told through narration from reporters who are reporting for the French Dispatch. And the whole thing is narration. Almost the entire thing is narration. Mm-hmm. There's always narration, almost always. And it's it's done by great narrators. It's done by uh, uh, Angelica Houston, Owen Wilson, Tilda Swinton, Francis McDormand, and Jeffrey Wright. So you have great voices doing this narration. But it's just, it's nonstop with the narration. It is, it is absolutely nonstop. And I think... It is successful in the idea that he's doing something different by doing three, three, three and a half separate stories in one movie. That is great, but it's also kind of his biggest weakness because he can't spend because each each story is so well crafted that it could be its own movie. Like that's mm-hmm. how good they are. But because it's not its own movie, even because it's shortened significantly, it, that he the thing he cuts out is the heart and the emotion to it, and like it's there, but it's just not enough because it's not a feature. Gotcha. And that is disappointing in a way. But God. The stylism of it is just so intense, so intensely Wes Anderson that I just have to love it. Like it's just done so well. <laughs> and I will I have to rewatch Grand Budapest to say this definitively, but it may be his best, like his most well shot movie ever made. Uh, oh the cinematography is so gorgeous in this film that it's better than Dune and it deserves the Oscar. <laughs> it 100 percent deserves the Oscar. Robert D. Yeoman is the cinematographer's name. He has been with Wes Anderson for every uh, for all eight of his live action movies since Bottle Rocket, like his 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 baby project when he was in the 90s before he did anything famous. Mm-hmm. He's been here the entire time. He's only had one nomination in his entire life, and it was for Grand Budapest Hotel. And he still didn't win, even though that was gorgeous. And this movie is even like it's even more gorgeous. It's like I can almost say that for certain it, it's is it's more gorgeous. And so I think he deserves a win for this because it's just so good. I will say it's looking better for Hans Zimmer, though, in the Oscar race, because I I was not attracted to the score that much that Alexander Desplat wrote. Like, it was pretty and stuff, but it was very much background as opposed to Grand Budapest, which he won for because it was just so present and ominous and just beautiful and well-written. This was sort of just like background music. So I don't I don't even know if Alexander Desplat will get a nomination. He might, but he, I don't think he deserves to win. And so it. It seems like Hans Zimmer is in the lead now, for me at least, because I, I just there's just nobody else. There's after, just nobody else. After that smack talk last week, now you're gonna say. Something. I really, I really thought I was gonna go to the French Dispatch and get blown away by Alexander Desplat, but I wasn't. It was the cinematography that took me, really. But uh, Hans Zimmer is definitely the front runner for cinematography or for for score. Score, yeah. Greg Greg Fraser should not win for cinematography for Dune. I don't Over, think he's going to. I, I don't, don't think he's nominated for that either. I mean, he, he might, should not. But I don't think that was the strongest uh, point of. No, dude, the 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 special effects were the best part. But in all honesty, I feel like French Dispatch may also like it would definitely be nominated for production design, and I think it might deserve it because it's just so. 
it the way that the sets work they work like play pieces like they move apart and they pull away from each other and it's just so expertly crafted i think it's just beautiful the way that they designed this french town in ui sur blaze just it is gorgeous and each story is unique i just i feel like it's technically probably wes anderson's best movie but because it's missing heart heart to the core of the story it is to me i believe it it is probably one of his best films but personally i think it's probably a mid-tier film i think it's better than isle of dogs and steve zisu and bottle rocket and darjeeling limited but it's not as good as rushmore uh royal tenenbaums uh moonrise kingdom fantastic mr fox and grand budapest hotel like it's not as good as those ones but it's definitely better than the other ones. so it's literally like middle pack but honestly after isle of dogs i'm fully satisfied i got exactly what i wanted i got a wes anderson movie i got some laughs out of it it was great to see all the famous people in it they had some great roles some great some of the best performances even though there's just so many of them and they have so few screen time nobody's gonna get nominated for this they very nobody ever has i don't think in any one of his movies been nominated for an acting oscar just because he always has such a big ensemble and it takes away from each other but it is good it is good performances like they are doing the work i see overall you give it out of five i give it i had to think about this a lot i'm gonna give it a i'm gonna give it a 4.5 out of five magazines and I will say the the one thing I could say about it is it is the best book I never read. Wow. It is. It, there's so much narration. It feels like I'm reading a book the whole time. But it is. That is part of the beauty of it. and Part of the charm. I see. So, a, wow. A great response to French Dispatch from mm-hmm. you. 4.5. I suggest you go see it, Ryan. Especially when it starts releasing more and more wide. So that right. you can go close. You don't have to go all the way to Winter Park. Yeah, but I see it is catch masterful. It. Yeah, because I'm class technically. Yeah, it's definitely on the list. Definitely want to check that out. Um, so in the coming weeks, I'll be sure to go see it. Mm. It'll be my first Wes Anderson in a theater. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. It'll be my that was my third, I believe. I saw Moonrise Kingdom and Isle of Dogs in theater. But yeah, I did see Grand Budapest, which was a big bummer that I didn't go see that in theater. Dang, you live in your Yep. Uh, all right. We will talk now about Another film from a popular, well-respected director. This is Last Night in Soho, a genre-bending, time-traveling flick that Edgar Wright has co-written and has directed. So just to have some initial thoughts, Dylan, what do you think about this one? I thought it was a flawed masterpiece. A flawed masterpiece? Interesting. I would say that the first half of it was a very strong showing, and the second half of it was near rubbish. Oh, I disagree. I think it was constant all the way through, but there were flaws that were all the way through present. I see. I'd, I think they definitely became more pronounced towards the end. I'll see if you agree with that, but mm-hmm. I mean, right off the bat, visually, it is absolutely engaging, it's dazzling. Yes. Uh, he's also very proficient technically, so... You're going to go in and see a very well-crafted film from the technical standpoint. Um, And of course, the soundtrack. I mean, that is also one of the hallmarks of an Edgar Wright film. If you go in, you're going to hear some great songs. And 
that definitely is the case here. And of course it is based around the characters. It's not just thrown in to be the music to listen to. It's rooted in the characters um, and their interests and what they care about. So that is great. Um, and I also, the best part of the film by far is I think that initial entrance into the sixties yeah. um, when we're just swept away in the fantasy of, of that, all the luxurious, the richness. One of the um, best shots is when she's going to sleep and she throws the sheet over her and it just goes longer and longer and longer and longer. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. That is, we are going to spoil this, by the way. So this is a spoiler review. I've decided. Okay. Because I can't, I just feel like I can't give out criticisms without talking about this. We'll have to, so, we'll keep it brief though. And it is worth seeing. I mean, as we talked about, it only got 4 million, which is so sad because it is a unique and interesting film. And so I definitely think mm -hmm. it's worth going out and seeing and maybe your 100%. opinion on it will be different than mine but again like i really enjoyed the first half of it um and continue on with that shot because yeah that's just breathtaking stuff yeah i think it's great i think that edgar wright is hitting sort of a an awkward balance with his stylism in this film as opposed to a lot of his earlier work in the same sense that like baby driver was kind of a misstep in terms of the stylism like at times it's like grand and amazing and perfect and other times it's definitely sort of lackluster in an intentional way that he's trying to create the stark difference between the two realities but he isn't blending them together as well as one could have so i feel like the blending of those two like heavy stylism and non-stylism the blending of the two could have been done better as could have been baby driver but overall when you are in those intense stylistic sections when you're in the 60s with uh ellie and, and sandy and you're seeing all this sort of these cool like switches they're doing between the characters and these cool mirror tricks that they're doing it definitely takes you away and it's, it's like it is absolutely brilliant to see that sort of technical mastery happening in terms of how they are constructing this world i think that's brilliant yeah 100 percent. and i also and here's was one of the main gripes for me is that stuff is engaging all the way through but in the beginning portion, I was much more invested in the character and in sort of the premise that they were exploring here of this girl that's thrust into this unknown place and she's sort of having to navigate it and she's hitting all these obstacles. It's sort of a soul-sucking city where multiple people are either ignoring her, taking advantage, putting her down. And we see that mirrored in uh, Sandy's experience in the 60s where, again, she's very hopeful. She has this dream that she's clinging to and she's pursuing it. And it's going great. But then slowly, bit by bit, um, it's sort of stripped away and degraded and ripped from her. And I think that is very interesting in the way that they're doing that with like that time traveling thing. And she's sort of initially taking after Sandy as a way to bolster up her own pursuit of her dreams. And that's sort of inspiring the particular dress that she's doing. Mm -hmm. Like that's very interesting. And I wish the rest of that story was leaning more in on that and they would have, they could have still kept that whole part of where Sandy's dream was sort of corrupted and destroyed and taken away from her and how like some of that trauma would then bleed into Ellie and in her life. And she's having to deal with that. So you could still have the like, psychological elements of it and this blending between the fantasy and the reality of the dreams um, mm -hmm. in her waking state. But I wish it would have emphasized more on her dealing with 
what it seemed was the initial driving of the film, which was right, her dream and her navigating this, um, this new landscape where she's all alone. But they leaned so hard into the horror elements of it towards the end. And it just, it felt like it completely ignored what it was setting up in the beginning film. And I don't know, I mean, we'll get to this. I'll ask you what you believe the takeaway is, but towards the end of the film, I'm just left wondering what was being said here, what was being explored here. There was so many good elements in the beginning, but then it just became this horror film that I don't think was particularly well done. And I say that because the ghoulish, grayed out men faceless men yeah that happened so often it got to the point where it just wasn't interesting it wasn't scary it wasn't engaging at all i disagree i think it was unique each time you saw them and i think that the design of them was unique enough to where i was delighted every time they came on screen because i thought it was just so well done stylistically in terms of how they blend disagree very much so I think the first couple times it was, it was all those things, but um, by the later times or especially they're in the crowd and she's running through the alley and gets grabbed by them. And then something happens where she slips and falls and falls unconscious. I was like, okay. And then later on, the same thing happens when she's in the room and it didn't really make sense because it felt like we had already done that thing um, with everything around her and grabbing at her. But then I also didn't, Everything that happens after the twist is up for debate, I will say. Everything that happens after that twist is definitely intriguing, but everything before that twist, I think, works Which twist? Because well. there's two, and I think both the of them actual are so twist, like, like the big twist. I disagree. I think the second one is a good twist. I think the first twist was predictable for me. The um, Okay, we'll just say it because we're spoiling. Yeah, okay. So the first twist is that Terrence Stamp is actually Jack. He's the cop that they reference, which I do wish they referenced that cop more in the flashbacks than that one scene they did. Mm-hmm. But I knew that that one was going to come because the dude that they got to play the young version of him looks fucking just like him. <laughs> like I was like, I saw him and I was like, oh, that's that's him. That's that's just they cast him because he looks like young Terrence. Stamp. Right. Matt Smith and Terrence Stamp don't look anything like each other. Like this is this makes more sense. So I kind of saw that coming from the get go. They also kind of acted like each other. like it was well written to the point where they're acting like each other. And maybe if they had referenced that cop more, it would have become more clear and the twist wouldn't have been as surprising. But I mean, it's it, I would rather have a twist that I can predict predict in a good way than predict in a bad way if, if that makes any sense like if right. they had built it up better i would have rather predicted it that way than predicting it just out of guessing and being correct and for the second choice when we find out miss collins the lady that um, is renting out that room to ellie is in fact sandy uh did you when did you predict that i did not see it coming Okay, I didn't, didn't. I will say I didn't see it coming, and so it was surprised. Like I mean, they built, they suspensely build up to it, and like when she was reading, when she got in the mail, I was like, "There's got to be a twist with the mail." Otherwise, what the fuck is the point of the mail? And then I was like, "Oh," <laughs> and I realized her name's gonna be on it, and she's gonna be Sandy. And I was like, "Okay, so she's gonna be Sandy, and that's gonna be it." And then it happened, and I was like, "That's right. correct." And so I feel like I like that twist. I like the idea of Sandy being alive, and I like seeing the toll that the horrible way that the men have treated her takes on her and like the action she took, the extreme action she took. And then the, it, it gets iffy after the twist though. Sure. The, 
like first off the cgi definitely looks bad like that's yes. that's covid effects on those later shots coming mm-hmm. in like it just came out looking rough but when we're in the room and the men are asking for help i thought that like i i guess it makes sense but it's just kind of stupid because there's nothing leading up to that i suppose other than the fact that they're grabbing at her also why are they trying to hold on to her if they're asking for help that also doesn't make sense uh, that, that a lot of that stuff is very iffy to me and i remember being in the theater and when they're asking for help and he's holding out the phone to her i remember thinking if they go that route it'll be so stupid and fortunately they didn't do that fortunately diana reed came in and ellie was like no i'm not gonna help you perverts and then she was just like i understand why you did it and like i think that's a better message than yes i will help out the perverts and it's woman versus woman like i think the route they took ended up better than the route that they were setting up as sort of like what it could have been with them asking for help like i feel like it didn't definitely ended up in a better way than it could have been but not as good as it could have been overall i don't know i i like it better than if like i'm glad i'm glad sandy got her vengeance and killed jack and then just became like this crazy person that started killing everybody i think that's kind of cool (laughs) as a fan of horror movies i think it's cool two things i want to go back to the twist the second that we saw like after she woke up from the like first dream or something Mm -hmm. i was like oh it's literally that old lady that's sandy i thought that was certainly going to be the way that they went because it would have emphasized that theme of them being mirrors and she would be able to talk to sandy about her dream since clearly i mean she's not like this famous singer or anything like that so i was like oh that's a cool route and so throughout the whole film, I was expecting, okay, Sandy is that older lady. And then they showed Sandy getting killed. And I was like, oh, well, that was sort of a wasted opportunity. But then they bring it back around and said, psych, the visions that Ellie was having just happened to, for no reason, give the wrong version of events where well, Sandy is killed instead of Jack, which... It's not again, the wrong version of events. It's just shot differently. Like, the way it's shot is just different. No, it was literally her getting zapped. No, she, this, the knife never goes into her. She just, there's stabbing motions and then blood gets covered on her, which is what happens in the other version. She was clearly dying. She was clearly not dying. Because like the same exact, the way they shoot it, the same exact things happen in the other scene, except you're seeing more of it. It's the reveal of the full perspective. I suppose. Either way, the implication is for you to assume, okay, Sandy's dead. Yes, of course. That's the intention. That's why there's a twist. But it's a bad twist. What I'm what? saying is that's stupid. Well, because they were trying to give you that. And even if that was the case, what is preventing? Again, it's just cheap tricks to try to lead the audience one way to set up this twist that isn't all that compelling. Because why does Sandy end up reversing what she's doing? She literally poisons Ellie, yeah. which also Ellie walked that poison off like it was nothing. That is true. Um, I will give you that. <laughs> she then stabs the other dude, the dude that was like showing up for Ellie, mm-hmm. which I also think is so stupid. All that dude was doing was like checking on Ellie, saying she's okay. The man literally saw her try to stab somebody in the face with scissors in a library. You don't think that's maybe the moment where you say, huh, I should either get this chick some help or get as far away from her as possible so that I don't end up getting stabbed as which is what happened. That's not what happens in horror movies, bro. You're you're analyzing the characters too intensely for a horror movie. This is no, no, no. Like... that's not an excuse. Like we also we talk about it in various class, and they're also saying, guys, you can't apply the logic. No, no, no. We can if you 
You know, you can't. The effort to set up a sort of logic in your system, such as the three blinking red lights, you know, or is flashing the be sure thing, but then it's three yes. reds when he goes into the fantasy. Like you put in the effort to establish rules in your world. And you better be consistent with them. Like you don't get a pass because, oh, it's a horror film. It just No, you do get a pass. No, part of, a part of the reason part of the reason for a horror movie is that the characters make illogical choices. That's what leads to horror situations. You can craft it in a way where people are making logical decisions, but they're still put in situations that are dangerous for them. If you're and making like a serious horror movie like Midsommar or Hereditary, yes, you can do that. But if you're making just a general horror movie like uh, a slasher or sli- slash psychological thriller, which is kind of what this is, then yes, you can make characters that make illogical choices. But you don't expect Edgar Wright, of all people, to be smart and clever about the way he goes about doing a horror film like this? He doesn't have to. You're saying he doesn't have to. I think you do if you want it to be good, which I don't think it was. This is this is just you having a gripe with horror movies in general, man. No, it's this not. Is, it's this is this is a problem that you have with a lot of horror movies. Is that the characters of the few that choices. we've seen? I mean, but yes, like that is an established horror of other people doing stupid things. I can yes. understand in 1970, whatever, where in Halloween, where uh, Laurie Strode three times, or maybe I guess it was just twice, but on multiple separate occasions, kills Michael Myers and then gets up and walks away without finishing the job. Okay, whatever. But in this, where it's decades since that point and where this is supposed to be a more sophisticated film it's bending different genres combining it together and we know edgar wright has writing chops it's absolutely inexcusable to have stupid things like this going on and it also doesn't make sense again and this is the point what did it all mean so sandy stabbed the dude poisoned the good chick but then now she runs up to the room and she is what exactly was it again that made her all of a sudden decide you know what maybe i did take it a bit too far by killing hundreds of people for vengeance. Now it's I'm going Ellie to burn saying, down in my house. It's Ellie saying, I get why you did it. And then she gives her a hug. And like that sense of understanding that she never encountered as a person in this horrible city growing up is, is overwhelming for her. I mean, I'm not saying it's greatly written, but that is the intention of it. Okay, sure. And then she goes, now run along, dear, go save yourself. And that kid that I just stabbed and let me burn down in this house. It's just well, she doesn't want to go to prison. Like that, her burning up with it, I think, is poetic. Like she's burning in the house that she built with bodies. Like I think that is poetic in a sense. But I again, the lesson that you're learning isn't clear or great. And I agree with you there that that writing specifically could have been better. And that is why it is flawed. Is that the writing doesn't like it does not stick the landing. It, it is doing a lot of cool somersaults and a lot of cool tricks. <laughs> up in the air and then when it goes to stick the landing it fumbles and sort of falls flat and that is the flawed part of it but the intense stylism of it the build-up and to the horror and then the slow descent into the madness is fantastically done the special effects up until that last part is very well done the the evil men creatures is very well crafted in terms of creature design like horror villain designs i think they're really well stylized i think the performances are great i think there's just so much here that is fantastic that even though it didn't stick the landing it is like it's not it's not anywhere close to being anything on top tier level for edgar wright but in terms of movies in general it is still better than most no i don't think so so we're going is there any other final thoughts that you have before you go into the rating no not really that is all i got all right what is your rating out of five 1960 reveries? 
I give four out of five nineteen sixty reveries. I give two point five. Jesus, hated I just, it. I mean, not hate it. I mean, well, you don't like horror movies to start off. Well, that's true. But again, I'm, there's been like we talked about us, where that's more of a sophisticated. Like it has themes it's and it has things it's saying. I mean, you're saying that you enjoyed it. You said multiple times, "I've never had my jaw drop as big as that when that." That happened. is true. It did. It did Where drop you? pretty hard. But I've seen it a couple of times since then, and it has lost its flavor. I have not seen it since that point. But something like that, like I enjoyed, or um, again, like again, respect what a Halloween and Black Christmas were doing. Even if, again, I still don't think it's really an excuse to be like, "Oh, they do stupid things." You imagine how good your horror movie will be if you make it so that the characters make choices that real people would probably make and they still get hit in these terrifying situations yeah um, sure but that's not as much fun as watching characters do stupid things and have stupid consequences like well i don't it's more fun. fun well well fuck unless you. it's a bad or old horror film where that's part of what i know i'm getting myself into but if i'm in last night so and i'm seeing incredible visual effects great soundtrack all of these great technical things going on and it's edgar wright who is one of the best or most respected writers in Hollywood at the moment. Um, I don't know if that's true. Well, I mean, he, I mean, has, he has not had, style, but this oh, wasn't even, he's not had a writing comedy hit. stuff. Yeah. He hasn't had a writing hit since his comedies. Like, I don't think baby driver was a smash writing hit, nor was this, but yeah. I don't think, I don't consider him like to be one of the great modern writers. I think of him more as he understands what he wants to do stylistically and he knows exactly how to how to carry that out in a very strong sense. And his movies are each unique stylistically, except for the Coronado trilogy, which is kind of like its own stylism in itself. And so I think he knows what he's doing in terms of when he gets into a movie, he knows exactly how he wants to do it. And he does it to the best of his ability. But in terms of a writer, I don't know. It's not like masterclass writing. Like it's like the this movie and uh, Baby Driver, the movies that he wrote without assistance from people we know like he wrote this with somebody else i don't remember who but the uh, the cornetto trilogy he wrote with simon Pegg, and like simon Pegg is a, a comedy genius and so i think him and edgar wright just work really well together and that's why those three movies came out so good and i think scott pilgrim was just written by someone completely different like someone that isn't even him let me check but this movie was written by i think it was was it christy wilson cairns that yes. wrote yes what does she write again one other thing it was one other thing let me look it up because that's also curious to me because i saw her name and i was like i know it's 1917 she wrote this and that's such a <laughs> strange mix yeah. interesting um which also yeah. 1917 is not also the best written thing in the world so right. i feel I mean, like that's certainly not the yeah. strong uh draw of that film either yeah. Either way, he's usually adept, and I feel like this was quite comically in, inept. So yeah, he he co-wrote Scott Pilgrim with Michael Bacall, who also wrote uh, Twenty One Jump Street, which I just watched today, and is is absolutely hilarious. So I feel like his comedies do come out better. I think he's more of a comedic writer than he is a horror writer, and so I feel like I am more satisfied by his comedy movies, but. Overall, he he is a very stylistic director, and you know me. I love stylism in my movies. I love unique stylism. That's why Wes Anderson is one of my favorites, as we talked about earlier. That's why Edgar Wright's up there is one of my favorites. That's why Quentin Tarantino is one of my favorites. It's why uh, 
uh, Ari Aster is one of my favorites is because they just they know what they want to do and they do it to the best of their abilities and they don't bend the knee for anybody. They they do what they want to do and they know how to do it and it sells well because it is specifically their style and people go to see it for them, for their style. And this is definitely an Edgar Wright film. It's an Edgar Wright style and I was satisfied. It was the first time in a long time that I left the theater satisfied. Fully satisfied. What the theater like just in like, general since post COVID? Yeah, because because pre COVID because like the movies I've seen have been Tenet, which was eh, Demon Slayer, which it, I mean it's just it's not a standalone movie. I'm not gonna count it because that's connected to the whole series and the whole thing. So that's like the whole thing. Um, but I was satisfied by Demon Slayer. Um, I saw Shang Chi, which was not like the greatest thing in the world. Black Widow, which was bad. Uh, I saw f9 in theaters can you believe that that was that one was bad um yeah i just hadn't seen like a good movie in theaters and then i went and saw this one and i was satisfied and then today i went and saw french dispatch and it is the best movie i've seen in theaters all year so far french dispatches so go see french dispatch go see last night in soho you will enjoy both of them maybe one more than the other maybe we'll see depends who you are (laughs) indeed uh now we're gonna just talk about we're just going to give some recommendations and some anti-recommendations, perhaps, mm-hmm. based on some other things we've seen. So, real quick, Dylan, what are some things you've been watching? Either other movies you've been streaming or TV shows that you caught? So, today I've been watching, or recently I've been watching, uh, what is it called? Uh, Succession. I've been trying to, so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to watch it slowly because the last episode of season three doesn't come out until december and i want Mm -hmm. to have been caught up as soon as that last episode is dropping or about to drop so that i can binge the whole third season because i don't want to watch it week by week that it just doesn't seem like the kind of show that i would want to do that for it won't hold my attention like that i don't think even though it is amazing uh so i'm just gonna watch it slowly overnight i've seen the first two seasons already and i'm just re-watching them in anticipation for season three and also there's nothing else that i'm watching right now alone because i'm watching I already watched uh, the the horror show on Netflix. What is it? The the Catholic one? God, mm-hmm. what's it called? Midnight, Midnight Mass. Mass. Yeah, I already watched that. We'll talk about that in a second. I watched that with Alexa, and then I'm watching Squid Games with Alexa, so I can't watch it on my own. So I just picked Succession again to watch on my own, and I'm watching it slowly, even though I'm also watching Succession with Alexa. So like, I watch episode, <laughs> and then I go to the same episode to Alexa, so I see it twice. And I think you would love Succession, Ryan. I really do. I'm sure I would. I think you really, really would like it because it is very well written and it is, it is the character work is great and you would like it because each character is unique and they're written very well. Uh, and the politicking, oh, you would love the politicking. You I am a big fan. Love that. that. I love it too, and you love it, and it is done. It is one of it is the only show on right now that has good politicking. I will say that for sure, for sure. So the other things I watched, I watched a lot of TV the past two months. I watched. Midnight Mass, like I said, which was good. Like I liked, like I think you would like it as well. It is not that scary. I promise. It is not that scary. Uh, it's not also not like great. Like the the, the well, ending isn't like great or anything. It's not one of the best things ever made, but it was good. Like it was fun. Uh, it kept me in suspense and made me kept coming back to it. There is one episode that is phenomenal through and through. Like the whole episode is just like a conversation between two characters, which I love. I love it when they do shit like that, and it is a great conversation. Let me tell you um what else is there i watched ted lasso season two which is great as well you should watch ted lasso have you seen the don't first have season? apple tv no just do the free trial and just watch it in a week you could 
You really could. That's what I do. And it is fantastic. I am see? on the Ted Lasso train. Uh, in terms of movies that I've watched, let's see. I rewatched 21 Jump Street today. That's fantastic. Uh, I'm in the middle of Squid Games. Not in the middle. I've, I'm halfway through the first episode of Squid Games. So uh, I'm very much behind the train compared to everybody else. But I like it so yeah, far. I everybody else knows Squid Games but you and I. So we yes. can't even <laughs> talk about it. But uh, I'll watch Squid Games and I'll maybe like talk about it for like five minutes on the show one day or something. Because I feel to, like it's uh, just such a big thing now that we have to talk about it at least a little bit. Right. Well, we definitely, I think, also missed. Because we were doing other things and we had our schedule planned out. And it just... Mm-hmm. It was so quick. It came out of nowhere. I remember yeah. seeing it on the Netflix page. I mean, like, struck by the initial style of it. Yeah. And it I was like, cool. okay, that looked interesting. Obviously, reminiscent of Hunger Games and things like that. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll give that a try. And um, then it blew up. And now it's I huge. know. And I was like, oh, great. Now the expectations are. I see it everywhere now. And it let me say, uh, the, the 40 minutes of it that I have seen is very good. Like, I enjoy it. Not as much as I thought I would, but I still enjoy it. Like, it's still good. I, I love mean, it does progress, though. Like, the initial one yeah. is good in getting you in, but people say, like, it just gets insane towards... I am excited, because I am ladder. a big fan of Korean cinema and, I guess, television now, these these days. Like, the... the What is it? What is it called? The... God... The, the new Korean cinema... The new Korean... Korean New Wave Cinema, that's what it's okay. called. Korean <laughs> like, New Wave Cinema started, it started in the late 90s and start, progressed through the 2000s. That is, like, I watched a bunch of them with Spencer, and they're all so, like, a lot of them are so good. Like, we talked about Joint Security Area already on the show. That's a great movie. Anything that Bong Joon-ho has done, except for the one movie I haven't seen, which was um, the Netflix one with the big animal. Okja? Okja, yeah, I didn't see Okja, but I hear that one's meh. But all of his other movies are great, except for maybe Barking Dogs Don't Bite. We could do a whole director's analysis on Bong Joon-ho. I've seen all of his movies now, except Okja. But they are, a lot of them, just all so, so good. Anything he does is great. Old Boy is great. We watched the first of the Old Boy trilogy as well, which was, uh, it wasn't Lady Vengeance. It was, it was something else. But that was also very good. Um, Spencer didn't like it that much, but I I liked it a lot. Like, it got better as it went on. But I'm a big fan of the Korean new wave cinema and everything that's happening and how it's progressing into just uh capital like commercials and like popularity and people are starting to find it and appreciate it more and so it's kind of leaving that new wave and start of sort of hitting popularity and pop culture and more people watching korean products which i think is great so uh, that's i think i think this is everything i've been watching recently what about you yeah so recently I watched the first 15 minutes of Cry Macho. Wow, how'd that go? Not good. The reason it's only the 15 is because I stopped watching it because I said, I want to be entertained right now, so let me watch something else. Please, you have to finish it, please, for me. Well, they took it off HBO Max. God damn it, (laughs) no. Couldn't finish it, so that's why right now it's only just the first 15 minutes. But it is some of the worst. It looks great. Like There's some awesome shots of him driving through the like texas and mexican landscape Mm. but man the writing of it like the first scene is just the biggest most wooden expository dump of he walks into the building clint eastwood his character does and then the guy across from him says oh let me talk to you about 
my relationship to you, everything you've done for this company, because he was like one of the cowboys in the rodeos. Um, so he was talking about, oh, here's everything you've done, but you suck now and you're too old and you can't give me the money anymore. So I don't really know why you're here. I don't really like you. Um, and then he just, Clint Eastwood replied with a one-liner and then left. And I think it was, I don't know, peaced out. And then later they have a rehash of the conversation where the dude now says, by the way, I need you to go get my son who's down in Mexico and bring him up here despite the fact that you're a 90 year old man. And then Clint Eastwood says, gotcha. Be right back. And He's then he goes and so does old. <laughs> he, he needs is, to stop. And it's absurd. He hasn't made a good movie since I guess million dollar baby. And that wasn't even that good. Yeah. I just don't know. And he definitely needs to stop casting himself as an actor in his films. Like just do the directing, my man. You He's not even good at that anymore. I mean, we, we both saw ballad of Richard Jewell and they're just not coming out good anymore. Um, Honestly, I can't even think of a movie that he directed that I actually liked. Because I've seen Unforgiven. I've seen Million Dollar Baby. I've seen Richard Jewell. I don't really like any of them. Like, Million Dollar Baby is the closest that he's come to making something that I like. But it's not even that good. It's just him being sexist. And then <laughs> him coming back from being like, I guess I'm not sexist. But I still kind of am. He loves doing that as well. He loves putting himself in a position where he's like, oh, I'm this yeah, rough and tough guy with some prejudice. Let me go over an experience it. where I overcome it. But I'm yeah, still... In Gran Torino, he's he's racist. But yeah. I mean, you know, he's a little bit not racist. And they they didn't really get to it yet. I don't know if it'll come up in Cry Macho. But if I'm then, sure it will. Yeah, having some opinions. He hates um, people who aren't macho. But I guess he kind of likes the people who yeah. aren't macho. But not yeah. really. Yeah, he's like, oh, I'm this masculine tough guy, rodeo. But then he'll talk to the young boy who's trying to be all masculine and be like, son, it's not all what it's got, uh, got out to be. Sometimes you need to cry. It sucks because I love his westerns. I really do. They're he's, very good movies. Maybe you should watch Cry Macho. I will Because I've western. seen the western he directed, which was Unforgiven, and I don't think it's good. Even though people love it. Like, it won Best Picture. People love that movie, but right. I don't think it's good. Like, I just think it's bad. I haven't seen that or, one. Did you see Mystic River from him? Oh, that is the one movie I love. Right. I love Mystic River. I that, that is it. <laughs> that is all it is. I keep forgetting he directed that because it's good. <laughs> like, like that is the only movie I think he will ever make because I mean, he's ninety years old. He's probably gonna die tomorrow or something. I don't know. But I <laughs> mean, days. it'll probably be the only movie he'll ever make that I enjoy, unless he comes in clutch in the next year and just pumps out like the best movie ever made or something we still i've been going for like a movie every year two years so maybe we'll be able to get there before be kind of funny if he if he if he made the best movie of all time and then died (laughs) (laughs) said i did it i finally got there he said i overcame my sexism my (laughs) racism (laughs) all of my prejudices i got them all out of my system now i can make my magnum opus (laughs) a 93 year journey what else have you watched? Um, so there's that. I recently did a rewatch of Insecure, which is I've never seen that. Issa Rae show on HBO. Uh, I like it. I genuinely do like it. And season five is airing now, which is why I did a rewatch of it. I remember back when Go It Had started, season four was airing, and that was the only show. And I think since then, it's the only show that I've been following week to week. Um, Because the rest have just been streaming things that I'll like, even on the Disney Plus Marvel shows, I would just Mm -hmm. wait for the final episode and then binge it. Um, So that one was one where I would actually wait week to week. And I'm doing that again this time with season five. And I enjoy it. It's, it is able to balance a lot of the comedy. I mean, the whole premise of her being an awkward girl. Um, 
navigating these situations. Um, but then it's also very heavily focused on relationships and whatnot. Um, so, and it's also HBO. So they definitely go in as far as they can on the sex stuff. Um, nice. but yeah, so, but overall I enjoy it. It makes me happy. They're mm-hmm. 30 minute episodes. There's only eight episodes for like the first three seasons and then 10 for the fourth. It's a nice breeze to get through. So I, I enjoy it. And this is the have, final season, the fifth season. So we will soon part ways. Issa Rae will move on to mm. bigger and better things. But yeah, I definitely have recommend. Seen, have you seen Fleabag? I have not. Because I just restarted that with Alex. Like we're still on episode one. And God, I forgot how much I love that show. It is beyond amazing. So you should check out Fleabag. We could do a whole episode on Fleabag because there's only two seasons and we could we could do an hour on Fleabag pretty easy. Gotcha. It's so well written. Like maybe next year, it's like an episode for next year if we have a spot somewhere. If Phoebe Waller Bridge, when Indiana Jones 5 comes out no. <laughs> for Phoebe Waller Bridge. You can add to the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel show. Oh, maybe, I guess. Because they're both feminist products on yeah. Amazon. Exactly. Um, Any other things then, you watched? Also watched The Legend of Korra. Which of of course, we'll have a show soon on there. But I watched the first two episodes of season three, and this is what I'm talking about. This is you're into it. You're for. into it. Yes, yes, dude. I love season three, dude. Zahir, the villain, and then the like gang he's got going on now. He's like so that is good. how you set up a villain, and you set up his. Team. I told you, dude. He's the best villain, man. He's so good in this show. Oh. Dude, the way it ends, you're going to love it. You are going to love everything of season three. I guarantee you, dude. Like, all the the politicking they do in the beginning of season one, it just all comes around in season three, and it's just so, so good. Season season four is a bit of a letdown, but it's also better than season two, which is all you need. Nice. Yeah. But as, I mean, we'll talk about when we do the Legend Core show, but Mm -hmm. what I wish, the one, like, a major drawback of the season one is I was wanting them to do more with that premise, because it ain't such a genius idea what they centered the idea around. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't go far enough with it. Like I wanted to see more of it explored. With season three, it's also it's such a genius idea of having spoiler if you haven't seen it, but of having the Airbenders come back and it's they so have to cool deal with that situation. I'm like, that is just a brilliant thing to explore. And I'm like, it's oh, so I cool hope they talk about it. how they have to be rebuild the civilization and they want to bring the Airbenders in, but people aren't going to want to just leave their life to go join this culture that they have no tie to. So I was like, I hope they explore things like that, and they do in the second episode, and then they introduce this kid. Kai, who's I'm sure going to be a big part of the season and be one of the people we see like getting invested into this new culture that they never um, were a part of before, and also him having a little relationship with Janora that they're setting up. It's just so good. Every it's single bit so about cool. it, it gets right so now cool, dude. I'm and telling you, Zuko coming back in that episode. Ooh. Oh, it was so good. And again, brilliant stuff because they're setting up how serious these villains are. The fact that Zuko has to personally go out and try to stop them by riding his freaking dragon. I mean, that's just, oh, that is so incredible. Cool. You love to see it. So Season I'm three is great. absolutely pumped so far. Hopefully it will. I mean, you're saying it will. I'm hoping it will, it will. continue that all throughout the season because that'll be a pure gem. I will say, though, for season four, because this might pique your interest, it was Lillian's favorite season. Is what she said last night. She said four was her favorite season, and then the first season, and then the third season, and then the second season. Wait, she said four, one, three, three, two. Yeah. What did she? And have? my list was three, one, four, two. So three and four swapped. Interesting. Much. 
did you convince her to get on our freaking podcast for that show? I didn't know if you wanted a person for that. I can ask her again, but I, I did. got her. I told you that I was okay, like okay. trying to convince her. I said, "Come on the show." And I she got her. I got her to soft commit to BoJack next year. So, oh, she have would have to. That would be yeah criminal. If she wasn't on the BoJack thing because I told her about that, and I, I, we can talk about this more later. But I had a, a, a good idea, and you can quote me on it here. Is that for for the BoJack show? I thought it'd be funny if Lillian and I, and you can moderate the discussion because Lillian and I, I thought it'd be funny if we progressively got more and more drunk during the show. <laughs> okay. I think it's a great, like every five minutes we take a shot until we're sufficiently drunk. Good Lord. I think that would be fun. I think it would take probably six shots for me to be sufficiently drunk enough without going crazy. And I think it just takes her one. <laughs> we That's can, very true. But we can put a couple more in her just, just for fun. <laughs> we, can, we can give her three and then and then party on. Oh, that'd be a great idea. I, that's what I'm saying. And then I can crack out like the the cocaine and the ketamine, nice, and just horse. go all out. Yeah. I'll join in for that part. Oh, good, good. You'll skip the alcohol, <laughs> but the horse tranquilizer is a go. You know, I'm always in for that. Yeah, this right. is Bojack Horseman. I think that's all the time we have. If you would like to give your thoughts on the show or make suggestions for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxoffishow at gmail Our main title theme for the show is "Sundown" by Joseph McDade. Be sure to tune in next week. Have a great rest of your week and keep an eye out for those box office numbers. Draft is, draft is halfway through. Have a good week.